boy, John, we had a special guest today. It's a little daunting in a way, frankly, because uh, yeah. some people that know both of this guest and myself would probably wonder why they haven't been on on our show before yet. And I think it I, it's a little daunting. I mean, our, our next guest is is a a celebrity, basically. I mean, you know, he's a vice presidential candidate, and uh, we keep moving up in the world. Yeah. <laughs> or somewhere, I may not the world. I mean, I think he knows at least three thousand people um, clo- on a close, uh, intimate basis. No, I mean, uh, intimate. That sounds kind of strange. But anyway, without further ado, our special guest today is Mr. David Daniels. Hello, oh. hello, hooray! <laughs> with that, with that lead in, they probably thought it was John Kerry or something. But that was last week. No. <laughs> John Kerry. Wait, he never ran for vice president, did he? No, I don't know. Just presidency. Yeah. No. Whoops. Okay, that was not a good uh, analogy. <laughs> all the, all but those it was John a reference. Kerry fans are gonna get you. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, they did it. The John Kerry fans have uh, are circling the building. We're going to keep on going here, though. Uh, this is episode 79 with special guest David Daniels. Time to lean and here's a song. Phil and John are your hosts. I'll hold down the fort. Hello, Mr. Daniels. How are you today? I'm doing well. It's uh, in the uh, low 70s here in Denver, Colorado. Nice. Uh, took my uh, usual... Uh, 420 walk uh, along uh, Stones Lake in Denver, beautiful lake. You know, it's funny. Um, here I've been, you know, for the, though I've gone back and forth between the two, uh, I've spent the better part of the last 20 years in uh, Minneapolis and St. Paul, where yes. you know, land of 10,000 lakes. What do I do? I moved back to Colorado and I'm near one of the few lakes in the area. <laughs> you just can't escape the lake thing <laughs> you can take the man out of the lake but you can't take the man out of the lake no oh God. yeah that's reverse a terrible that. saying strike that reverse it <laughs> sounds somewhat sinister actually <laughs> you can't take a man out of a lake oh but you okay. can take a lady out of a lake no in a lake <laughs> sorry no just your sword <laughs> cut that out well dave why don't you I, I'm guessing we'll have a few more listeners today than normal but <laughs> on this episode. But um, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? I didn't have a great introduction there, but. <laughs> well, I mean. Uh, I know where do you start, right? That's yeah, the other exactly, thing. You, you've, you know? you've lived like four or five lives already. So. There was the, uh, the born and raised in Hartford, Connecticut. Uh, yeah. There was the. Uh, the t- years in uh, Alaska, including time in a Christian commune uh, in Palmer, Alaska. Uh, in fact, the uh, the farm in which I, I lived in was only a few miles away from uh, the person who became Sarah Palin's husband. You know. <laughs> oh, Todd. Yeah, yeah. Alaska was New York City. Talk about culture shock. Uh, and also the Christian group there, though, right? Yeah, yeah. But uh, then uh, from there, it was uh, Denver, Colorado. 1980 was the year. 
87, I did a crazy thing and ran for mayor of Denver. <laughs> you know, got something like uh, 600 votes, but it was amazing the, the media coverage that I, I got during that race. Russell Means from the American Indian Movement uh, came to Denver on my behalf. <laughs> oh, that that's great. Who yeah. who was the one? Who was the person well. who ran against um, uh, uh, the '80s Denver guy? I can't remember his name. Uh, now the, the, the incumbent mayor was uh, Federico Pena. Yeah, I yeah. remember. Later him. on, became yeah. Bill Clinton's sec- uh, Secretary of Transportation. Yeah, yep. I, I I remember him from. Uh, cable tv growing up all right TV. we've yeah, talked yeah. about that on the channel before we reminisce about 80s things and we, we did get one the Denver idea channel. of big big tv was uh denver local stations <laughs> <laughs> but no i remember pena and uh let's see after that so then that that led uh that race uh led to uh a meeting with my childhood uh, one of my childhood heroes uh, Senator Eugene McCarthy. As, as a seventh grader, I, I spent time uh, stuffing envelopes and uh, you know passing out leaflets for for Gene's anti-war campaign, and and then uh, you know later on, kind of developed uh, some of a correspondence. Uh, my my you know, early attempts at poetry, but yeah. then. Uh, we were only on the ballot, at least with my name, in only two states. But that, uh, yeah, I was a candidate for vice president with Gene McCarthy, and that actually led to me uh, moving to uh, to Minneapolis. <laughs> and that's where I met you. And some other yeah. things happened in there too. But yeah, they, <laughs> quite a few things. A couple. But so Dave and I met at uh, Barnes and Noble Cafe. Or maybe should I even say that? No, in. Uh, Downtown it's not Minneapolis. Like you work for them now, Phil. That's no. Okay. <laughs> Although I might, I might still have a pension. I got to look into that. I might get like uh, from 50... from the barista managers union. <laughs> well, I I think I'm going up for like twenty five to fifty dollars, uh, or maybe a hundred dollars a okay. year or something. Yo, like don't that. don't mess with your nest egg, there, Phil. No, yeah. I... yeah we we were the morning team. Yeah, we were the we were the, the <laughs> Dave and Phil show. We were there bright and early every morning and Monday through Friday, usually dishing out the coffee and we'd remember people's drinks, of course, and talk a little bit. And I don't know. Cast Sales, characters who would come in regulars. Oh, yeah. This, the, and, and this was the coffee shop in the downtown Minneapolis, Barnes and Noble. Yeah. yeah which, right. which was, yep. which was an odd, an odd duck in the Barnes Noble world. I mean, they didn't seem to quite know what to do with us. We'd have different problems than the other stores would. Like uh, <laughs> every now and then, we'd have to have the chairs fumigated for lice, and and maybe the one in Egan doesn't. But that, you know, that's fine. Oh boy, the characters there. What? Well, anyway, so I was I became a manager, and and Dave was my assistant manager, and we, uh, you know, we we weren't like trying to push things, but the sales kept going up, and. And uh, it was starting to get a little recognized there. Not this is all about sales, but yeah, some of the characters. What 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 are some of the characters you remember the most there? Well, well right now I'm thinking about uh, a, a character who uh, we used in our uh, radio drama that we uh, wrote uh, later. Uh, <laughs> scenes from a reggae western. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, and, it's on uh, YouTube. It's on YouTube. Yep. <laughs> And uh, there was a security guy, and we—I think in, in the uh, drama we we 
we call him Sheriff Larry. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I don't remember what his real name was. No. Maybe it was Larry. <laughs> but. Uh, oh, yeah. Kind of a redneck guy. I don't know whether he had been much, spent much time in the city prior to that because everything seemed to be in an emergency. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he'd get wound up. Well, that became, that was easy to develop into a character. I'm going to get him. But <laughs> so I think was, a lot, he talked like Roscoe P. Coltrane. Well, the on scenes, scenes of a reggae Western, I will definitely. Oh, admit, I'm sorry. I'm, yeah, I, no, I'm I, just saying that, that we did develop this into a character and it did sound a little like Roscoe P. Coltrane. So no, it's a good voice. I'm going to get him. Yeah. <clears throat> I remember, oh, there was a cowboy, too. There was the, the cowboy. Remember cowboy? I don't know if you remember him. He would steal stuff from the store and then sell it over at the Crystal Caverns or whatever it's called. Over I, next I don't remember store. that. <laughs> Maybe that was after you were there. Uh, cowboy. He had a cowboy hat and boots. And, uh, yeah, he'd steal stuff from what well, anyway. And then, and then he worked for Caribou and went over there. and <laughs> Well, well, Dave moved over to Caribou for a while. That's a different yeah. story. Oh, whoops. <laughs> Jumping ahead here. Well, <laughs> shortly after that. Well, that's where we got to know each other. Well, there were other characters like uh, Howard who would do uh, film reviews for, I believe, a, a local newspaper. And um, he'd ho- kind of hold court and he'd have his, he'd have his, uh, um, he had a different cast of characters that would sit around with him and they'd debate things. And well, I have now and then. Oh yeah, I'd have to go over there every now and then. Yeah, keep it down a little bit, but that was that was good times. And we, of course, some of the characters that we worked with too. I mean, <laughs> kind of a hillbilly punk guy. Um, can't remember his name. Chris. That's a lot of characters. Hillbilly punk. Yeah, punkabilly. <laughs> Rockab- rockabilly punk or something. Not hillbilly. Sorry, and there was the the, no, the actor the, the the performance crew when it was the uh, you know, yourself and Colleen Cruz and myself. You know, we all <laughs> oh yeah, it. Colleen was there for a while. Yep. We haven't had her on yet. That's another celebrity around here. Well, hmm. you've you've been active in so at at some point. So you moved back to Minneapolis, and well, wait, you know, wait, well, hold on, hold on. We're breaking our we're breaking our repertoire here, or whatever. <laughs> we, our format. The okay, format. Do, we, do we need to? Uh, we, we need get, to get this, business. This is the time of the show where we talk about what we're drinking normally. Yeah. Okay. And uh, uh, I'll go first. I'm I'm just drinking uh, Evan Williams Kentucky Bourbon. So they're not not sorry, John. Not bottled just, and bond. It's just the regular. Black, the black label. Black label. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, I am drinking Elijah Craig Barrel Proof. Um, for anybody who's into that stuff, it's uh, batch A121, which means it's the first quarter of the year in the year of 2021. In the year of our Lord. And uh, it's barrel proof, so there's definitely water in this one. You're adding water. I added some water. Oops. Yeah, it doesn't come with it. Well, no, of course. Every, every, they all no, have water. No, it's still got, uh, <laughs> I don't know, 40% water. <laughs> I'm drinking fermented water. I'm having some water. <laughs> yeah, so that's what I have drinking at, at neat. 
Well, Dave, it's 520 our time and it's 420 your time, so I don't know. Oh, I'm just now noticing that. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, the problem is, well, in, in my apartment, uh, I am uh, not permitted to uh, you do my, my usual, you know, 420 routines. Well, you went uh, to the lake early. Yes, I, I, I did. But uh, at the moment, I'm about ready to break open a uh, a gummy that you can buy <laughs> here in Colorado. In fact, there's a dispensary right across the street from my apartment. All right, what's that one called? Or is it? That's not a Willie Nelson gummy. I'm just kidding. It, it's it's uh, taste buds. It's called. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, each piece carries uh, 15 milligrams of THC. All right. What flavor is it? <laughs> it's a cherry. Cherry. Oh, okay. Yes. It's a cherry bomb. So 15, 15 milligrams. What are what are the kind that just got legal out here? I think Dave was teasing us a little bit because it's kind of like the three two beer version. <laughs> I, think, I think they were ten, weren't they? Ten. All right. It I think it's 10. like it's, I think it's even less than that. Yeah. Oh well. Um, Baby steps. Well, we, we kind of just stumble into it, apparently. <laughs> so when's that going to kick in? <laughs> After we're done, I'm guessing. I, you know, it's funny. I, 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 we, uh, we get stuff from a, a place in Michigan, and they supposedly have an, a fast-acting gummy now. And I'm not sure how that works. Well, what, what's that about? Yeah, I, I don't know. I just heard about it. How do they speed it up? Yeah. I don't know. The gummy I'm because having, uh, it, it's usually about 20 minutes or so. Well, they, they have all these different strains, though. I, I don't quite, it's, it's kind of amazing. Like, they have the kind to help you sleep, and they have kinds that help you do different things, I guess. But they're probably all variations on relaxing or being more creative. Or I mean, that's that's kind of why you got into it, though, was for spiritual reasons. Um I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit. Cultural and spiritual. First time I ever uh, smoked marijuana was uh, in the Adirondack Mountains around Lake George. And uh, shortly after that, uh, I began reading Richard Brodigan and (laughs) Greening of America. And uh, shortly after that, the first time I actually felt something was at an Allman Brothers band show uh, in Hartford, Connecticut, Dillon Stadium. Oh, we covered that. Uh, Phil directed uh, my one-man piece, uh, Black Hippie Chronicles. I did. You're you're easy to direct. <laughs> that's all I'll say. I think my role was more of a, <laughs> a gentle advisor. <laughs> <laughs> I yeah. I Dave has Dave has all these stories and and. Uh, it's uh, in his shows, and he's got some CDs and things like that. And he's been performing in in the Twin Cities and in New York and and in Denver. And is I don't there know. is there a website or anything like that we can put in put in the show notes? Uh, there's a, a Facebook page. Uh, it's called David Daniels Storytelling, I believe it is. Excellent. We will we'll definitely put that in there. We'll, we'll Those get who the, want to know more. We'll get the get the address and put in the link one of those linky poos (laughs) (laughs) 
so when so when you first moved to Minneapolis, uh, man, I don't know what was that like. Uh, I mean, well, I know the truth. I mean, I, it was rough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I didn't know a soul. I uh, was in the middle of a divorce and was staying with a person who I never had met until I knocked on their door. Uh, <laughs> and uh, in fact, it was the, uh, the great late uh, you know, avant-garde uh, film curator, uh, you know, uh, Sally Dixon. Wow. Uh, she, uh, she and her then husband, uh, you know, held me until I, I kind of got settled. But they had a busy lives, you know. So um, I had to discover the Twin Cities on my own. <laughs> and, <laughs> uh, one of one of the big memories was walking into a bar on uh, just off of Lake in Chicago. And uh, now, if there's a uh, Anyone listening from Denver, uh, Lake in Chicago and Minneapolis uh, at one time was uh, eh, a neighborhood where you might want to, you know, kind of keep uh, your eyes open. <laughs> is there a department in Denver? I a bar and immediately realizing I was in the wrong space. <laughs> uh, it, was, it, was, it was, the first six months we were, were actually really rough and then the winters came and I hated it. Um, <laughs> even even though you uh, even though you'd lived in Alaska. <laughs> here, here's the thing though. <laughs> I lived in Alaska and even experienced 56 below zero. Never once got frostbite. Uh, my first winter in Minneapolis and I, you know, I, I feel I felt like I knew how to dress. Uh, I I come back from a long walk and my toes are feeling kind of funny and the next day I realize I've been frosted. You know? uh, oh, wow. Minnesota yeah. winters are special. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> special. <laughs> special. Yeah, How did you... There are a lot of things I, I miss about uh, living in, in Minnesota, but winters aren't one of them. <laughs> no. I mean, Denver gets cold, but it's kind of like Rapid City, South Dakota, where, you know, you'll you get, get a occasional break. breaks. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's what makes a big difference. Although it, it seems like their weather is becoming a little bit more like ours or vice versa. Oh, Rapid City is, is, I swear. Yeah, it, I odd. swear it used to be better. It, it's like it, it's even getting a little humid sometimes. But how did you so how did you get into this uh, reggae theater spoken word? How did that all happen? Well, <laughs> it began as an outgrowth of the plays that I wrote, which began as an outgrowth of uh, a rebellion uh, from the time uh, working with the, uh, the Playwright Center. Uh, uh, I was part of an African-American writer's workshop. And at the time I hadn't even, I had been actually been in a, on a seven year writer's block. And I just became a part of this group just to be around writers. The, other, sure. the only other things I had written previous were 
editorial type writings, uh, you know. Uh, so um, we were scheduled to do a reading at the Walker Art Center. At the last moment, in fact, I believe in somewhere in my papers, I still have the brochure talking about this reading. It was uh, going to be in honor of Malcolm X. Uh, the reading was canceled. Uh, the folks that uh, I had uh, collected to do the reading were pissed, and so was I. Uh, yeah. So uh, we put it upon ourselves uh, to, to cast it at Cedar Cultural Center. <laughs> then from a there... Great, a great went, venue. Yeah. From, from that point, unexpectedly, it went to, uh, ended up in here in Denver and actually, I mean, got huge response. Coming which back, which I, play was that? Which, which reading was that? Was that Malcolm X, Malcolm X Peter Tosh? Yeah. Yeah, sure, sure. Uh, did one other play in Denver before returning to, to uh, Minneapolis. It's called I Enter Hoover. Uh, you know, it was the, uh, you know, the FBI. Maybe if... Uh, if Donald <laughs> Trump had uh, had uh, watched the uh, play, maybe he would have been a little bit more careful. In, in, you know, <laughs> it was called I Edgar Yeah, I I Edgar yeah. It was a play okay. off, you know, the the the, the roster I and I, you know, I oh, Edgar Hoover. Okay. And it, it was uh, it was a production of something uh, the reggae theater ensemble, which developed. As a result of uh, you know Malcolm X, me, Peter Tosh, and the success I had in Denver and in Minneapolis. What was the show you took to New York on the? They had a French festival or something like that. Uh, was that, that was, b- before all this, or was that? No, after that was that? afterwards. Okay, okay. Uh, that was uh, my first one-man play. Uh, it's called Colorado: A Western Tale. I, I I played five characters in that from a Bronco fan, and uh, that, that you know that was very folks didn't know at that time that was how easy a role that that was. <laughs> oh, Dave is a very avid. Oh, he Dave is a contradiction in some ways because he he's he's got the hippie thing going on, but he's also got this really aggressive football thing going on, and it, he's got friends from all. You know, I'm on Facebook with him and. He's got friends from all over the political spectrum and whatever spectrums, all over the spectrums, spectrums of light and darkness. <laughs> but, you know, he throws them off sometimes because he's like, fuck the Vikings. You know, he's like, and, and they're like, oh, it's so violent. Football is violent. I don't like I don't like violence. Oh, no, I should. Maybe I should cut this out because some of these people will be listening. But I'm not making fun of you. I'm just I'm just saying. It throws people off. <laughs> what were some of the other? So you, you did five characters. What What were the other ones? I knew. I knew. Uh, I knew. I know. I know. <laughs> there was uh, a rancher. That, that was kind of like my my, my favorite character to play in, in, in the piece. There was uh, a, a mystic. Uh, there was uh, what I, who I called the, the Boulder Dread Deadhead. Yeah. And there was a storytelling scene where I'm myself. You played yourself. Yeah, it, it ran the at the based uh, on you. It ran at the New Eureka Poets Cafe during the, uh, the first uh, you know 
New York Fringe, which for me was you know quite an honor. I mean, I, I performed in in the Minnesota Fringe, um, but one difference here's here's New York, you know, uh, yeah. the dear capital of the world, and here's this rubble Rasta reggae piece, and uh, the New York Fringe had, was. Your, your acceptance was through a panel jur- jury. Not a lottery uh, system. Not a lottery system. No. Yeah. Uh, or first come, first serve. And right. uh, that play was, there were, I believe, something like 800 applicants, 150 were accepted from around the world. And that piece was one of them. What year was that? That had to be. I want to say 1987. No, 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 97. Wait a minute. Right. So you lived in New York during the Son of Sam stuff, right? (laughs) Yeah, during the crazy 70s. (laughs) I forgot about that. So that was before you went back. We're we're time jumping here, folks. Yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, my God. (laughs) Yeah. No, I just remembered you talking about the Son of Sam stuff and the... Oh my God! Well, before you get into that, let's—I I, I have one thing that, since we're jumping around, um, you mentioned that the first political activity you did was uh, running for mayor, mayor of Denver, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. And what a, I'm curious, what, what inspired you to do that at at the time? Was there a certain thing that really motivated you, or was it just he, he wanted to pick up uh, pick up ladies? Like yeah, yeah. I mean, that's a reason too. <laughs> <laughs> there, there, there were a lot of things going on behind that decision, particularly when I look back at it. You know, uh, you know and uh, you know, I was, I was, I grew up in a political household and uh, was uh, basically a, an aspiring politician in, in in Alaska when I dropped out. <laughs> uh, and so, so you thought you'd make a make make a go of it as a. Yeah, um, one of them actually, career the, politicians. The story, <laughs> the, the story went there was there was a a famed pizza place. Uh, they, now they're just in the mountains or in a couple of places called Bojo's in, in Denver. But at the time, they had a uh, Bojo's restaurant just uh, on Colfax Avenue in Denver. Doug Anderson and myself were, were talking about the uh, the possible candidates for uh, for mayor of Denver, and we didn't like any of them. We looked at, uh, and you know, Doug's not a drinker. I have a picture of beer, and so now the picture is getting close to the end. Uh, <laughs> we knew it took only three hundred signatures to get on the ballot. We flipped a coin. I was the mayoral candidate, and uh, Doug became the candidate for Denver Election Commissioner. And how did that work out? <laughs> Doug became the first uh, non-Democrat or Republican ever to win major office in Denver. Oh, really? Well, yeah. Yeah. Dave is an independent on in, in many respects, <laughs> not just politically. <laughs> a libertarian, I guess you'd say, right? Yeah, I, I, did, I, I had the endorsement of the, of the Libertarian Party uh, running for mayor. Now, when I uh, ran for, I uh, was a candidate for the U.S. Senate in uh, Minnesota in 2000, uh, I was endorsed by the uh, grassroots party, which yep. was the uh, the party that they, has they, they now have major, in Minnesota. Yeah, and they and another party have major party status here 
Yep, yep, quite weird. Yeah, yeah, no, that's wild. Well, back then you ran against. Uh, oh, oh, okay, I remember the debate. I don't remember where that was. It was. Uh, it was on it was the at campus. The University of Minnesota, wasn't it? Yeah, but I can't remember what room it was in. Um, was it Willie Hall? I don't I know. Think so. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. so, yeah, I, I worked at the University of Minnesota, so you think I'd remember this. But And John used to. But um, so, okay, so Dave Daniels is running for governor uh, against uh, Mark Stanett. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> It'll make more sense by confusion in a minute. Um, but um, Senate against Mark Dayton and some other folks, and uh, Rod Grams. Oh, Rod Grams, right? <laughs> oh yeah, Jesus. Okay. And the moderator was Jesse Ventura. <laughs> he they was a moderator. Yeah, what a moderator, huh? Well, he was the governor at the time, so I guess they yeah. wanted to give him a bone. But that isn't that strange, though, that he would be the moderator. <laughs> Well, he did a pretty because, good job. I mean, he was a third-party governor, and he wanted to insist on having all the third-party candidates. And uh, it yeah. was the, the one debate where all the third-party candidates were there with the Democrat and Republican. Uh, that, yeah, yeah, I can say why he would have skipped. Yeah. Normally, Dayton and Grams would have skipped uh, a debate like that. But with you know Jesse running sky high in, in popularity, they weren't going to do anything <laughs> to piss Jesse off. <laughs> no, no, I can see that. Yeah, he's. I, it's just interesting that uh, a, a sitting politician, you know, an office holder, would actually moderate a debate. That well, that's something you don't see, Jesse, much at all. Jesse was <laughs> an entity unto himself, so it still is. But so I remember that. I remember the time. Uh, let's see, Dayton said something, and and you uh, you reacted. Do. <laughs> I told him he lied. Kind of a... You know, he did have he missed a, he didn't have an understanding of the constitution. <laughs> what was the one what was the one time where you kind of um get real or something? He, he, it was, no, it was no, like that was a... another thing in that debate. I can't remember the specifics when I, I, I No, I, I can't. But uh I I I I put my arm on 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 on, uh, on Dayton, which uh drew Jesse's attention. But I just said, you know, Mark, just be real, you know? Yeah, because he, he was trying to, you know, I personally, I liked Mark Dayton fine, but he was kind of stilted, I guess is the word. But so I think you were, in a way, you were trying to help him. But, you know, Jesse's like, don't touch the other candidates. <laughs> <laughs> but then he got you a glass of water. So that was interesting. I don't know. It was, it was an interesting dynamic. See, there's so many things like this. I that's why I was like, God, how do you have Dave Daniels as a guest? You could go, you could go here, you could go there, you could go over there. But uh, he's an endless Venn diagram. Yeah. <laughs> that was an interesting race, though, because I you got way more votes than at, at the time. Even, was even that good. party was expecting. Yeah, of course. What I remember that night, I was uh, you know living in a, a space and. Prospect Park neighborhood in Minneapolis, and it seemed like well, a lot of my campaign help came from the West Bank of Minneapolis, and specifically folks from the Hard Times Cafe. And uh, on on election night, a uh, bunch of folks came over for uh, election night's kind of celebration. And I always thought to myself, if I had by chance won, 
I may have been arrested on the spot because that was a very smoke-filled room. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> yeah. And it yeah. was tobacco. So it was, somebody was looking at the, I remember the computer was going and we kept looking at it. And we were like, every now and then you'd get like these votes way up somewhere out of the middle of nowhere. We're like, wow. <laughs> that was fun to watch those results come in. I guess you got a little flack though because you're you're uh, you ventured a little bit way away from the uh, the main topic <laughs> of the party. It was kind of a one issue party, but you you brought in some other elements there. I did have a I, I did campaign on a specific proposal on legalizing marijuana, which was in Alaska adopted uh, and supported by both the Green Party and the Libertarian Party. Well, yeah, I, I also uh, just talked about the corporate welfare, which is still going on in this country. And I, I talked about the dangers of militarism, which we're seeing today. But, yeah, I mean, it, it, I, I wasn't bringing every, you know, I, I wasn't turning every issue into a, a marijuana referendum. Yeah. And, and that was a little bit different for than, than most grassroots party candidates at the time. Yeah. But uh, I feel like the results uh, show uh, proof, you know, proof themselves. Well, and speaking of that, we we we've talked a little bit about this, but I know I, I talked to other people in South Dakota, of course, where Phil and I are from, and you're probably aware of the the kind of you know messed up way that uh, that their legalization efforts have gone and were sabotaged by the, the governor and everything, the state Supreme court and all that kind of thing. And apparently it's back on the ballot again this fall. I, I do. You, do you feel like it's going to succeed this time there? Yeah, I, I do. Time's on the, on the side of legalization now. Yeah. You know, of yeah. course, you know, Colorado was a state to, uh, to lead the way. I feel like it's definitely one of those issues if if it can do as well as it did in a, in a mostly one party state like South Dakota, um, because that you know it's got some broad appeal there. I I just have to say though, Western South Dakota, in my opinion, is has always been a little bit more libertarian than the East Side. The East well, Side yeah, was it's more like Wyoming, Montana, blah 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 type of people. Yeah. Not nothing against those type of people, and we shouldn't call them blah 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 people, John. <laughs> oh, that's like saying deplorables. No, I'm sorry. <laughs> but is it a basket of deplorables? Sorry, <laughs> uh, too soon. <laughs> it takes a village of deplorables. No, so title. No. <laughs> sorry. By the way, I, no, I, the, I, uh, the the taste bug gummies are beginning to. Uh, I'm beginning to feel its effect. <laughs> All right. All right, let's talk about Son of Sam. No, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. That's not nice. My my experiences with marijuana, which aren't extensive, involved par- paranoia. And I think, uh, I mean, I remember in, in uh, Brookings, South Dakota, probably the third time or something I smoked marijuana, I was like, oh, everybody knows I'm stoned. And I put sunglasses on, even though it was night. And I said, like, oh, I don't want them to see my eyes. They're going to know I'm stoned. Oh, I'm stoned. I was, I was just so paranoid. Are you trying to do George Carlin there or something, Phil? Shit, fuck damn. <laughs> I'm going to play George Carlin on a, on a biopic. 
hey, if anybody's listening, I'll play George Carlin on a no. Anyway. Or ten dollars. For <laughs> oh God. I got, <laughs> my rates have gone way up now after That's the right. New Yorker article. But but somebody told me they're like, well, that's because it was illegal, and I don't know if they're mm. the theory is that that's a long time ago too. But right. I, I the back to the South Dakota thing real quick. I so my my, my mom, <laughs> but she she basically said that she feels like the governor there went after this mostly because she didn't didn't think she'd have enough time to to profit on it. And wanted to slow it down until she and her cronies could I've, figure I've out a heard, way. To- I've heard that from other people, and I don't know is that is that a weird South Dakota conspiracy theory? Well, I think the state government there is is well known for its grift. But yeah, true, true. Yeah, I, 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 it's Colorado had to get their hands on on it in some ways, you know. So, uh, but it's not quite not going where it was supposed to. <laughs> well. But you know, okay, so here's here's another tangent. I, I guess the um the uh, reservations, I mean, they have, you know, their own deals going on there. And I know you I know you mentioned Russell Means, I think, before, but uh or did you mention someone else? I mentioned Russell. Yeah. So he, he came to uh uh support you. I, I think you 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 met him. Uh, your, your paths crossed several times. This won't. Ma- this may not be a top. <laughs> this may not be a popular topic in, for some of our South Dakota listeners. But um, what was your experience with Russell Meads? Like I said, uh, we. Uh, I met him uh, Fort Collins, Colorado. This is when I was running as a candidate for mayor, and he said that uh, he will uh, come to Denver on my behalf, which he did along with uh, Dennis Banks from the American Indian Movement. Dennis Banks, And yeah. uh, Professor Ward Churchill at, at the time of the University of Colorado, Glenn Morris from the Colorado AIM. It was uh, pretty big headlines for, for a third-party candidate who had very little chance of winning. You had a lot of media coverage then. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, Russell, at the time, when uh, he endorsed me was a was a candidate for the libertarian party presidential nomination that's uh, right running against uh former republican congressman ron paul so hmm. yeah <laughs> who you I worked jumped, for <laughs> I, I jumped on the the uh the russell means bandwagon and uh, actually went to the uh Went to the the Libertarian uh, National Convention as a, as a delegate for for uh, uh, for Russell Means. In fact, uh, I I gave the the roll call. Uh, you know, I used to always see on on TV. You know, these uh, yeah these, these folks. You know, the great state of New Mexico. Uh, <laughs> when you watch so, the conventions. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. So, of course, I had to make uh, some folks mad by saying, you know, uh, other states, you know, soon to be Super Bowl champion Denver Broncos with the great John Elway. <laughs> uh, somebody's going to get mad at that. But, uh, Although John Elway was pretty good at the, the last four minutes yeah. of each game. But <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I you know, was kind of like Russell's, one of Russell's assistants on the floor at, at that convention. Uh, but then later on, you know, Russell ended up in, in 
in film and in movies and uh, in the Disney film Pocahontas, uh, Russell portrayed uh, Pocahontas's uh, dad. Some folks know I have have a daughter. She's grown now uh, with her uh, with her own children, but at the time. As she was growing up, I would I would tell her things like, uh, you know, I taught Michael Jordan everything that he knew about basketball. <laughs> of course, uh, you know, she wasn't going to believe me. <laughs> but uh, she she uh, loved the movie, and then I, I found Russell was going to be in town. I, w- I was in Denver. This is in Denver, so uh, I, I I get a hold of Russell and say I'm gonna I'm going to uh, bring my daughter down. Because that thing I tell her, well, you know, we're gonna you we're gonna meet uh, you know Pocahontas's dad, you know. Of course, you know, <laughs> after talking all this stuff about Michael Jordan, she's not yeah, believing me at like, all. Oh, whatever. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we we go up to Russell, and immediately Russell goes into some of the lines from from Pocahontas. Oh know? my God. Yeah. <laughs> oh so, no. It, it gave it gave for a little while, you know, a, a, a renewed sense of doubt. You know, maybe Dad did uh, help Michael Jordan out. You know, <laughs> it's all worth that. <laughs> you know, I when you when you talk about politics, though, I mean, and and I mean, your mom was really politically active, and uh, I'm not saying she was grooming you for a political candidacy, but she probably was. I don't know if you phrase it that uh, way. I was even as a third grader. I was deeply impacted by uh, John Kennedy's assassination. At the time, you know, I, and, you know, there were a lot of bad things going on in my life at, at the time in third when I was in third grade. And so I kind of, I could kind of relate to the sense of grief that I was experiencing. Folks that, who seemed to love John Kennedy, and I could seem to un, I, I I had a sense of the hate because I had experienced violence and hate. Uh, to, uh, in some ways at that time. So I said, maybe the way to help out was going to be by, uh, maybe I should run for president. And I said, from, from, from that time on, I was going to run for president. I was going to be a candidate for president. Well, you know, this is, this is early sixties. You know, there, there, there had, there was a degree of, of, of self-hatred going on in the black community at the time. And the thought of a black man becoming president seemed just, out of hand for many folks. And I got I got berated and teased a lot for that. But my mom just said, well, if you're going to be president, this is what you're going to have to do and kind of laid out, uh, laid out a program uh, <laughs> to, to set me up to be in position to run for president. You know, one of the one of the greatest memories I have of my mom was, uh, you know, we my grandparents lived in Washington, D.C., and we used to spend our summers there. Mom took me to the uh, 1964 Democratic Platform Committee meetings on the day when the civil rights uh, platform was going to be discussed and debated. Jeez. One of the first per- person I, I got to meet uh, was Ellie Abel, uh, who at the time was you know, working for NBC News. And I got the, the tour of how, how the media covered an, an event like that. Well, I... Yeah. The next person I got to meet from that point uh, after his speech was uh, Dr. Martin Luther King, thanks to my mom. Jeez. Wow. Oh, that's um, amazing. 
who also got assassinated, but man. And the other thing is like, uh, you know, five minutes after meeting Dr. King, I'm, I'm, I'm walking down the hallway with my mom. Uh, next thing I know, she's jerking me aside and I'm looking up and there's Bobby Kennedy walking by. And according to my mom, I wasn't watching where I was going and neither was he. Secret Service <laughs> pulled him aside. His mom was pulling me aside. You know? <laughs> she was your Secret Service. Yeah. I guess I, fra- I guess I phrased it wrong. I, she wasn't grooming you for this. She was like, this is what my kid wants to do. Here's the steps that you need to do to do that. That's a, that's a mom thing. Yeah. Or yeah. a parent thing, not just moms. I know you went a little astray from where she was thinking, but... No guarantee I was going to win anyhow. Uh, and so, you know, in some ways, it, even though it's a long way around, I did run for office, you know, and I lost. So. In a parallel universe, though, Dave, you are you were the first black president. I'm convinced of that. In the world. <sighs> Sometimes we have these contemplative moments. I, I think I need a little break. Do we need a break? We're on a break. Hey, we're back. (laughs) (laughs) On the flip side. (laughs) Side B. Welcome to, as my brother would say, welcome to hour eight (laughs) of Tom's (laughs) Oh, we get a little flack. That's fine. (laughs) We like the flack, flack attack, flack right back. Mr. Daniels. What were, so you've done... Oh my goodness! I forgot you. You uh, you got to work with uh, Charlie Parr. What was that like? Story <laughs> to that too. Well, there's you got to work with him more than once, but yeah, okay. <laughs> got to meet him uh, in an uptown basement, uptown Minneapolis basement, where uh, video, well, a recording of well, we were doing this internet radio program. Uh, Twin Cities uh, radio music on the net uh, with the late Jazzy oh, J. Yeah. That's, that's how I met him. Uh, you know, at that time, you know Charlie, Charlie was getting known in, in the Twin Cities, but you know wasn't and in, in Europe. But uh, I spun some stories. Charlie Charlie uh, played tunes. He said, uh, I, "I love." I told him I loved his music. Uh, he said he loved my stories, and from that point on, we said we were going to do something together. Uh, <laughs> wow. First time we did something was uh, like 10, 12 years ago in Duluth that we called Adventures in Music and Storytelling. Uh, right. But then uh, a couple of years back, we uh, went into the studio, and uh, Charlie provided the uh, uh, the background music for my uh, storytelling piece that I call Annie Jones. It's a story about baseball and family. Yeah. Oh, that's a good piece. 
Are you still in touch with Charlie Parr? I know you see him at concerts and stuff. <laughs> we email from time to time. I, you know, I, he's busy. He's you know he, he's on the road. Uh, sometimes that's the time I get to see him now at concerts. In fact, one of the last time I was in uh, Minneapolis, uh, he was p- playing at Palmer's. And you know I can't uh, I can't <laughs> not go to Minneapolis and not spend time in Palmer's bar. Well, you have huge West Bank connections. What, what the new Riv, right? Was that the Riverside Cafe? The new Riverside Cafe is the Biomagnetic Center of the Universe. <laughs> worker run, worker owned, and uh, at, at the time, uh, one, of the, one of the pioneer uh, vegetarian restaurants. And and perhaps some of your recipes were stolen by the Moosewood. Uh, Something. Oh, we're not talking about that. No. Okay. Sorry. Oh, that's a that's a famous cookbook, right? Like, yeah. yeah. I, well, maybe we won't get into that. Maybe we're going to get be so famous. We're going to get litigated, yeah. but uh, <laughs> by the Moosewood Mafia. No, but uh, you got to meet uh, a lot of people. Would go there. Um, Paul Wellstone, for one, I guess. But yeah, he, he was a yeah. he was a fairly regular uh, customer when uh, when he was in town. Uh, we we debate issues, and he would still ask me how I felt about uh, certain things. You know, uh, he was a different kind of politician, though. I mean, it wasn't like, and it was a different time too. But he 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 really liked to listen to different people's opinions. He, he, he wouldn't necessarily agree with mine. He, he he did have an ear to mine, even though you know a lot of times I was bringing up issues that uh, we disagreed on. Uh, sure, but uh, Lou Bellamy from uh, Penumbra Theater. Terry Bellamy, uh, actor uh, from Penumbra, and uh, Lou's brother became a, a regular at the New Riverside Cafe and was very much involved in, in the crafting of my uh, my Malcolm X Me Peter Tosh piece after we decided we were going to put it stage it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the uh, the dub reggae poet Muta Baruka, the uh, Riverside Cafe was the the only restaurant he said he would uh, step foot in. He he had a very very strict uh, vegan diet. Again, we, we were pioneers. The, the Riverside also was uh, one of the centerpieces of the uh, of the folk scene in in, in you know Minneapolis. The folk scene that uh, you know spawned Dylan, Kern well, Ray Glover would uh, were, were regulars at, at the at the New Riverside Cafe. In fact, uh, Spider John married a a, a cafe uh, worker. It, it was more than a restaurant; it, it really was a, you know a community experience. It's sort of some of that transferred over to Hard Times, but Hard Times has got kind of a oh, it's got the I don't want to say punk, but I mean it's got well, maybe it's got, you know, but, a different generation uh, form, you know, sure. a little harder edge, but uh, still, you know, worker own, worker run, like the new room. Yeah, some of that energy went over there a little bit, but it changed. It was there still too, though, I guess. But <laughs> and Palmer's is its own thing. <laughs> I'm glad that got to keep alive. I was 
worried about that for a while there. It was going under, but the new guy whose name I can't remember has got it, keep, keeps it going. And Charlie Parr shows up there every now and then. What are your feelings about the West Bank now, though? This has changed a little bit. <laughs> Not as much it's as the East changed, Bank. but it, it, in, in, in a weird way, it, it's still keeping with its history. Uh, That's true. The West Bank had, had at different times in its history uh, housed uh, various immigrants, and uh, that's the case now. At other times, it, it tended to uh, to uh, have the uh, carry the outside element. Everything from uh, you know the you know the bootlegging during the days of prohibition to the. Okay. Uh, the old counterculture where, where the new Riverside cafe w- was a part of. And, you know, folks that were, you know, I was only, I was here only at the, at the tail end, but there's some, some folks that could tell you some, some stories about the, the drugstore that sold drugs. And, you know, <laughs> it was literally a drugstore. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the Cedar cultural centers there. I, I remember speaking of Jesse Ventura. I, I, my, one of my Jesse Ventura stories. I don't know if I have many, but uh, I remember seeing Warren Zevon or Zavon. I don't know how, however people want to pronounce it at the uh, Cedar Cultural Center, and that was this was shortly after uh, Jesse Ventura was elected governor. My brother Blake and I were there, and uh, there were other people <laughs> in the audience, but uh, Jesse Ventura was probably a couple seats behind us anyway. So that was kind of, he came in kind of a different way in the back. I never knew there was a door there, but whatever. And, uh, you know, he's, he he loves Warren Zevon. He's even sang, or some would say tried to sing, sing, uh, one of his songs, uh, at his, uh, inaugural wall when he became governor. Warren Zevon is playing and, and, uh, the Cedar Cultural Center, for those that don't know, it, it it's just a rectangle basically, and you're in chairs. But you can get you can get kind of you can get pretty close to the the performer, and uh, they 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 fit quite a few people in there. But um, it's it's an intimate venue, I guess is what I'd say. I've seen Loudon Wainwright there, and and that, and uh, anyway, I think I don't know if he was changing a string that he broke or tuning or something. And, and, you know, people start saying, Hey, play, blah, 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 play this, play that. And Jesse was like, let him play what he wants. So, uh, and everybody, uh, we, my Blake and I just laughed. It was hilarious. But anyway, <laughs> that's a good story. <laughs> <laughs> is, is that the same gig where you, he, he yelled at you, where's the sound man? No, that was Loud Wainwright. Oh, I, I'm sorry. I've got <laughs> no, that. I, I yeah, my, confused, my, yeah, my, 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 my. Loud Wainwright. I don't have as many brushes with fame as David does, but uh, that was a that was a fine line, and uh, <laughs> at a Loud Wainwright concert, and I, I had he was flannel disappointed on. with you because you were not the sound man. No, I had flannel on, so he assumed I was a sound guy. <laughs> that was that was '90s or something. I don't think that gig was going well for Loudon. He he seemed frustrated. I thought it was a good concert, but then this this lady this this tells you how frustrated he was with the the gig. 
uh, uh, this lady was up front with with a guy, maybe her husband or something. I don't know what's going on, but she had very large breasts. That's all I'll say. But anyway, so she wanted his autograph or something. He was like, no, I don't do that. And he left, you know, and I'm like, that doesn't seem like Lon Wainwright, but whatever. That's a different story. Well, you, you, you talk we, about the uh, the doors at, at the Cedar Cultural Center. Like I said, uh, the first time Malcolm X meet Peter Tosh was staged, was staged at the Cedar Cultural Center. And uh, the revised script after, oh, here's the story. Uh, the, the reading that was going to take place at uh, the Walker Art Center only uh, carried references to marijuana. When it was going to be staged and rewrites uh, and uh, was encouraged to just to put it all out there, uh, the script called for for five joints to be smoked. And uh, <laughs> five, yeah, not four. Uh, one was going Three. to go out in the audience. Well, you know, <laughs> we, we well, you knew have to share. That- there was a, a risk that uh, perhaps we we could possibly get arrested for this, but uh, Mitch Olson, my assistant, uh, and also a oh, cast member. Mitch, Mitch, uh, there's so many stories about Mitch too. <laughs> the angry uh, one. But anyhow, uh, we spent as much time diagramming and practicing escape routes should the cops show up. <laughs> Uh, including, <laughs> including putting, uh, you know, we knew there was a, a fence behind the uh, the back door of the theater, <laughs> and we even uh, even had it planned up. We 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 were we put a, a box so we could just jump and jump. <laughs> You're rehearsing this the escape route. I haven't yeah. done that in most plays, but fine. <laughs> uh, we we thought maybe because I mean, we we were new at this, uh, we were hoping maybe that we, at best there might be thirty or forty people that show up, you know, uh, and there was going to be plenty of room to maneuver. Uh, the Cedar Cultural Center was packed that night. Before we went on stage, I, I turned over to Miss. I said, "I think we're going to jail tonight." Yeah. <laughs> Because our escape routes were, were, there was just no way it was going to happen. You know, <laughs> more people showed up than we ever anticipated. <laughs> but uh, you know, just like like Peter Tosh, not go to jail. You know, uh, you know, nothing happened. Looking at the the videotape they had at the time, I didn't miss the line either. That was I before that uh, I. There were plenty of times that there were you know I had been in a few pieces, so I had. You know, learn lines before, and in my day, I've I have smoked you know plenty of marijuana. Uh, that was going to be the first time of uh, of combining the two. Uh, there was no way of re- using that much to rehearse, so it was going to have to happen on that night. <laughs> <laughs> oh, remembering lines! But, I don't know if I could do it anymore. But that was the Cedar Cultural Center back uh, back door. John is more, well, I, maybe I won't say that, but more politically minded than I am. I mean, that's not true, maybe. He well, watches them. You watch <laughs> MSNBC more than I do. What? 
Well, what? That's not a good thing, though. <laughs> no. Well, it's yeah. like the Fox News for the left, but maybe. I don't know. <laughs> it's not as bad. I've been but... trying to cut back. I, I Even I have... Get, oh, sure. Get too much. Uh, what's Trump up to now? The there, there's a lot of hyperbole there. I mean, I, I, I watch on YouTube sometimes for like, so-and-so nails, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, what, usually so, not. So, but you were also yes. part of a... You were also part of a show that uh, Phil was a part of too <laughs> at the you know, 7th Street entry. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah, that that's we we've quoted one throwaway line maybe in there where where Phil Phil yells out, "You can't make love to no Beck." <laughs> <laughs> and it wasn't that the show where we we did come together? Yeah, that was we, we did so so basically yeah, Sean. <laughs> I I am probably, you know, combining two things. No, no, but, that was it. Okay. And, and it was the weirdest reaction <laughs> I've ever seen. The the 7th the 7th Street entry is next door to 1st Avenue, which Dave Daniels has opened for somebody else. I can't remember the name of that artist. Quentin Oh, there there, there was a time I, I opened for Reg Irish Tip of Irie. There was yeah. uh, another time, uh, a couple of times with uh, Bob Marley, biographer and archivist Roger Steffens. I was most honored to to open for dub poet Linton Quasi Johnson from from England. Yes, yes, that I saw that one. Oh my God, that was incredible. Oof. Anyway, next yeah. door, <laughs> next door, here we are. But yeah, the Seventh Street entry. Yeah. So, which is quite small. Yeah, I mean, Dave Dave got this thing together. It was like a various artists, and I thought we'll do the Segway Cabaret in the middle. And uh, we're going to, we had three pieces, and uh, one of them was the one that John mentioned. But um, I, yeah, we got the, we had every kind of reaction you could imagine. (laughs) That was an interesting night. I, I'd never been there before, and there was kind of a dungeon almost down below. And I went down there to kind of because we had to wait a while before we came on. And there was a weird little room in the, I don't know, way down below the Seventh Street entry. It's kind of spooky. I don't know what was going on down there, but I left right away. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so what did we do there? We did the Segway Cabaret. So we had that scene, the bus scene, because that was yeah. Um, but- well, that was based on a, an actual thing that happened uh, on a bus. This guy just got up and said, uh, we're going to have to edit this pause out while I try to remember because I'm getting old and I've had whiskeys. We won't edit this probably. So this guy got up and uh, just started saying, I know you want to leave me, leave me, but I refuse. To let you go. That kind of prompted this whole thing. I didn't know that was an actual Motown, or not maybe, uh, maybe not Motown, but that's an actual song. Yeah, yeah, that's right. I didn't know that at the time. I thought this was just a guy getting on the, up on the bus singing. So I referenced that. And uh, we had two other segments. What were those? Did that include Sean singing? Well, yes, Sean did come oh, together. The Beatles. What was what was the third? 
so Sean saying that uh, we did the kind of a country come together. Yeah. Yeah. There was a third thing. Oh my God. That's the one I can't remember. It, it was sure a fun time to, to go do that though. It was weird. I think I'll, I'll always remember it. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm not going to forget that even if I have Alzheimer's <laughs> and whatever else, but it was, yeah, it no, was, you'll uh, just wander around <laughs> the old folks home quote, you know, yelling. That I out. know <laughs> you want to leave me, leave me. <laughs> The song doesn't sound quite like that. Whatever. Yeah, there was a third segment. Oh no, the the, the narrator. The, the will narrator always. will always fix it. <laughs> Ed, save us, Ed. <laughs> Dear Lord, Dave. I don't know. We could. I don't know where to even. We could go into a hundred different things from now on. What were what, what were uh. Sorry, I need to uh, reconnect myself. Send with... ba- fill back for regrooving. I need to regroup with the Matrix. That's regrooving. Yeah, I'm not very... So, Dave, okay, here we go. What right. were some of your uh, influences growing up? I'd probably start uh, family-wise with uh, mom and grandparents. Eugene McCarthy for his... Uh, Courage to speak out against the war in Vietnam and run for president. But, uh, I was a McGovern was, guy, but that's okay. Well, this is you know, sixty-eight was before McGovern, seventy-two. Yeah, okay, well, <laughs> but, okay, uh, there's that. But uh, Muhammad Ali. Oof, Muhammad Ali. Another one. Holy shit! Where do you even start with Muhammad Ali? <laughs> I I just remember. Uh, the only time I remember my dad and my grandpa drinking beer, we had this little tiny black and white TV and we had a huge living room. But, you know, there was a Muhammad Ali fight. I don't know which one it was, but that was the only time I remember my grandpa and my dad drinking beer. We get sit around and we watch this, this Muhammad Ali fight. But I, what do you even start with that guy? Well, I could start uh, in Intertwined Story 64, uh, fighting, uh, you know, Sonny Liston. And, you know, Muhammad Bursano, and this is, he still catches clay at the time, and he's going off, you know, I am the greatest, you know. And this <laughs> is, I remember in my household, this, this is kind of irritating my mom, who grew up in the era of Joe Lewis and the, nice and mannerly, polite, black man, humble all the time. And now here's this Muhammad Ali or Cassius Clay at the time. Uh, <laughs> Not you know, humble. Not- <laughs> you know, say, I am the greatest. I'm going to knock him out, you know. Uh, and, of course, I'm immediately taking – if this is something that mom's not liking, I have to like it, you know. So immediately <laughs> I take the Muhammad Ali. <laughs> yeah. A natural-born yeah. rebel. But, uh, you know, Sonny Liston, we you – know, was powerful so it was amazing to to see uh you know clay uh knock him out and that's probably after that that's when he declared himself as muhammad ali watched a lot of his fights and then uh you know he he, uh stripped of his crown for uh, resisting the draft yeah well that probably touched a nerve with you or whatever your rebellious streak Anti-war stuff. <laughs> well, 
I'll put it this way. Uh, selective service, uh, I, I didn't give up. I mean, selective service had a hard time with me, or I gave the hard selective service a hard time for finally break. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that whole thing. My 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 dad, um, and I don't know if he he doesn't claim he claims this didn't happen in this order, but it feels like uh, my mom got pregnant at that stage where if you were going to have a kid, you couldn't be drafted. And I was born. And, and uh, there was a couple other things after that. I, he doesn't claim it was that. He claims it wasn't that systematic. But <laughs> I'm just saying, he seemed to kind of touch those t- <laughs> times. So I feel like you're a draft dodger, baby. Is that what you are? <laughs> Is that what you're saying? Well, you know. We didn't all move to Canada or anything, but yet, yet. Right? No, no oh. I just yeah. Of course, Phil and I are a different generation, so we 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 all had to register for that shit. But uh, they used to run these were they television ads when we were oh yeah Scott Bayo or something. What, was Scott Bayo in the uh, okay? <laughs> no, I. But the the the, the line that. It must have been a good ad because I remembered it, but that we used to make fun of it, 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 the tagline at the end of the ads to get you to go down to the post office and why the post office, whatever. <laughs> and <laughs> it was like it. I, I keep wanting to say it's fun, it's easy, and it's the law. I, it wasn't fun. It was something else. <laughs> well, that's what we that's what we came up with. But I remember I. I Distinctly remember going to the post office because my my mom was and my one of my aunts was like you don't need to do this we'll we'll support you you don't need to do this but I felt this pressure to do it you know because I was worried about getting (laughs) going to college pressure you or well that sergeant range that was different (laughs) but I felt the pressure I think I was worried about getting financial aid or something for college or something, my Pell Grant or something. Ah, there was all sorts of shit they would try and but, tie to that. But my my aunt and my my mom were like, no, don't you don't need to sign it. We're we'll you know, we'll back you up. These uh No, I just remember those those ads though. That's I I remember going there and signing the thing. It's like I I don't know. I don't think I'm gonna actually go through with this if it comes down to it. <laughs> I'll go to Canada, I guess. But with climate change, you know, Canada is looking better. So that's fine. Canada is looking better. There's the title, title idea. <laughs> Canada is looking better. So, you know, one of the things we do on, on our our show that an unofficial format thing is we, we talk about what uh, stuff we're watching or listening to or whatever, that kind of thing. And uh-huh. Uh, David, maybe you'd like to, to to share what you've been getting into lately, as far as you know, music or media or consumption. Anything. Yeah, yeah. That we, we often talk about TV things, but uh, All right. it can be anything. Why? What are we watching? Why? What are we watching? 
I haven't been much of a, of a TV person. Uh, going back to the days when I lived in Alaska, when there was uh, a two-week delay, there was no live TV. You know, beginning with, uh, you know, I, I got hooked on Breaking Bad. And uh, I, I just got done, uh, you know, watching all the seasons of uh, Better Call Saul. It's pretty cool. I'm a big fan of both of those shows. I'm, as I've mentioned on our previous episodes, I'm trying to get Phil to, to watch both of them. But yeah. especially Better Call Saul, because Phil is such a fan of Michael McKeon and it, it's just a great set of performances. I mean, yeah, it it's really a good, complex, sometimes a very funny show. Um, yeah, yeah, very much so. It, That's good. You know, compared to Breaking Bad, it, it's it's a slow. It, it moves at a slower pace, but it, it has yes. all all the same elements that that, that made Breaking Bad great. Yeah, I almost there's some interesting how, how the it's evolved since it's the same people that write and produce most of the episodes up from each show, and it feels like um, there are differences. Yeah, in the way the the pacing is on it, but it's really interesting to see the way that the the way that they do the show has evolved between Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul and. They they feel similar and yet distinct mm-hmm. from each other, which I really enjoy. I it's you not just watch, like you more of the same. Call Saul, not having watched Breaking Bad, you may you, you might catch you yeah. may not catch some of the some of the you know, the nuances, but you could you you could watch it on on, on its own. Yeah, I, I may, tried may, tried to tell I, Phil that too. That I may have watch. to do that. All these comedians on Better Call Saul too. What's that about? Well, it's probably driven partially by Bob Odenkirk. Sorry, <laughs> sure, sure. I think he 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 has an inertia that that brings people along. But uh, yeah, that that that's a great choice. Well, other than, other, other than uh, you know, Better Call Saul, which I, I just got done. As far as TV, it's, it's just been uh, New York Mets baseball and Denver Broncos football. You know, <laughs> that will keep you busy. <laughs> We don't have a lot of sports fans on this show, but uh, <laughs> well, no. I don't know. Uh, no, that's not true. Matt, Matt and Paul are both uh, yeah, both sports fans. So yeah, but that's like football in 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 in, well, in Europe. Matt, Matt, Matt is of course Matt's a Vikings fan. So oh oh oh, no, you, know, you, know, you know, music wise, <laughs> oh no, you know, music wise, as always, I'm kind of all over the place. Listen to a lot of you reggae. Might, you, you might you might have more eclectic music tastes than I do. You're 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 sort of a dick. I don't know. I I have always thought of you as a bridge, in that you bring so you know all these people that this guy is into the Grateful Dead, this guy is into reggae, this guy is into whatever. But you seem to, from my experience. You seem to help these people navigate that, find common ground, and, and make a bridge musically. And I, I've always, I don't know, I've always appreciated that about you. I uh, I tend to think of myself as a rather eclectic sort of consumer, if that's the right word, of music, but um, appreciator. <laughs> that's not a word. I mean, 
I don't, I can't think of a genre that you, so who's this guy, Billy Strings or something? No, that's Billy not. Strings. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Not, I don't know a lot about Billy Strings, but you're, 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 so one of your things is getting people to say, Hey, check this guy out. And I haven't yet. And I will. But what's the deal with Billy Strings? He was like with Willie Nelson the other day, whatever. But <laughs> amazing, what's that about? Amazing, amazing guitarist who uh, can uh, feel right at home. Well, his his roots are uh, are bluegrass, and he can uh, be right at home with the classic, you know, bluegrass artist. Right. To uh, you know. Showing up on stage and, and and doing things with some of the contemporary artists who some I'm not even familiar with today. Well, yeah, we're getting old. Yeah. It's hard to keep up with all these people. I, I got to strings. see him. Uh, I got to see him last summer at uh, at Red Rocks uh, with his Oh uh, Red uh, Rocks, Holy shit. the Grateful Dead. You know, Billy and the oh, Kids. Red Red and Rocks. That was you know. What is it about Red Rocks? There's a, there's an energy there. I don't know what it is, but it's, it's a weird place. It's the most beautiful place to ever see to see a show. You know, uh, <sighs> if, if when folks come to Colorado, if there's, if there's a show worth going to, uh, I would encourage anyone to to check out Red, a show at Red Rocks. Well, Paul S. Paul S. I don't know if he still listens to the show, but he's been a guest, a special guest. He's gone he to did. shows there. I, I, oh, I yeah. also one of the th- it kind of it makes very obvious how the Twin Cities area does not have a good outdoor venue. No, what the zoo? Yeah, it's not really the same thing. <laughs> not no, a, that's nothing like Red Rocks. No, they have they have a nice little amphitheater or something like that there. Yeah, but it's not Red Rocks. Yeah, but we Red... don't have a venue, you know, a really good one like that. No, Red Rocks is I there's nothing like Red Rocks anywhere though. There's a lot of natural acoustics that, that go to to with Red Rocks. And then as you're the, the scene mountains and and you you can see this, you know, it makes for a, a powerful visual experience that goes well with the music. It's a spiritual place, I think we could say. Uh, we could. A sacred place. Now, see, now, one of my heroes, Steve Martin, I remember I didn't get to see him there, of course. I was too young, but I watched a video. But when he played at Red Rocks, <laughs> that's a different era. Comedians there, but fine. Who's going to perform there now? It's a comedian. Now, Steve Martin got to a different level. Fine. So I've been watching. Um, I, I just recently started watching this uh, Yellowstone show. Okay. Heard that? I've heard of it. The, the one, it's been around for a few years. Well, I, Dave likes Westerns. Um, it's sort of a Western. <laughs> yeah, I don't. It's an interesting um, modernization of. I almost think of it as a Western crossed with a gangster show Ooh, like okay. the Sopranos crossed with like a show like Dynasty or Dallas. Oh, my God. It, very, it has some soap opera elements to it okay, as well. Okay. And because really it has a lot of people that are hard to sympathize with. 
Yeah. So like, you know, the, the setup is it's the, the big white ranchers, the, the native Americans and the, the kind of, you know, the rich developer people. This is in Montana and in, in modern age. Yeah. Yeah. It takes place in current day. Oh, well, and yeah. You got Ted, of... Ted Turner as a character. <laughs> he, he owns he, <laughs> Ted Turner owns like one fourth of Montana, doesn't there, he? There's probably a, a stand-in for Ted Turner. There, but <laughs> it, it's a very—I mean, it—it it, it is very clear about how, how well all, all of the sides are corrupt in one way or another. I think is the message the show is trying to say. Well, but you know, like, like the, you know, Kevin Costner is basically you know Don Corleone, <laughs> oh, yeah. who runs a ranch and is very wealthy and has a. This 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 guy that works for him, who I, I've been jokingly calling, you know, the the cowboy Luca Brazzi or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's and a cowboy mafia thing. It's it's a cowboy mafia. It totally is. What? It, 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 it's just crazy. So they do some crazy shit. Like they just get rid of people, and it's the same <laughs> same phenomenon I noticed when we used to watch Longmire. You know, I used to talk about that show, which is, oh, is still really that fun. was on my list to watch. That's a great show too. To, very entertaining but but the it takes place in these these sparsely populated areas that there would be nobody left living there if if that many people died all the time <laughs> because of all the, the killings <laughs> and, and this show is almost that bad <laughs> with the body count even though it's montana and not rural wyoming but it, it's an interesting show um and th- there's good people in it it it's made by this guy called uh named taylor sheridan he's a he's the showrunner of it and he's done he did this really pretty good movie i liked whoops hello dog's barking <laughs> hi birdie um, called um hell or high water it's the show with uh this movie with jeff bridges in it that was really good he wrote oh, that yeah and he he made this show and it, it it's well done although some of it is really over the top and silly so i i'm kind of you know on the fence about it but um that that's what we're we're watching at the moment and trying to get to the end of better call Saul, as david and i were talking about before i've watched the first episode of uh breaking bad and i kind of feel like i need to watch all i know you i know both of you have told me i don't need to but i kind of feel like i need to watch all of those before i go into breaking bad i mean sorry better call Saul. And uh, but I, I I might have to do a time jump there too and just go into Better Call Sal because Carol Burnett. Don't tell me what happens, but somehow Carol Burnett's in the show, and she's a a comedy goddess. What's going on? How did that happen? And and I I don't want you to tell me even why did I ask that? Sad. <laughs> but but Carol Burnett. Oh my God. I got to watch that. You might just have to give it a shot, Phil. I might have to skip Breaking Bad. Yeah, you can do uh, it. I it's think, okay. I mean, you can I always go back and watch it later, it. too. No. I, watch I'm it, a, watch I it chronicle, chronicle, chronological order. I'm a completist. Well, okay, I mean, folks. Better Call Saul takes place before Breaking Bad in the story, remember? so True. I like the way you're thinking, and I appreciate that. And and it's not like watching the Star Wars prequels before <laughs> before episode four. Oh <laughs> so, God! It's, it's not you're not sacrificing anything to do it in in 
time in the timeline. Why isn't Carabonet in any of the Star Wars or Marvel universe? Why 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 not have Carabonet in all these things? She should be everywhere. Fine. Maybe we'll end on that. We need more Carabonets. We no. do. Well, David, well, thank you very much for coming on tonight or today, whatever it oh is. Oh my goodness. <laughs> I guess it's night here. Evening. Sun's beginning to, it's a little bit, clouds are, you know, gathering here. Sunset. You're going to have six feet of snow pretty soon there, Dave. If it happens <laughs> here, it'll melt shortly, unlike. I, I know. Yeah, rub it in. <laughs> oh, my God. Although Dave will visit Minneapolis, um, probably at the time we have the worst. Dave, thank you very much. Thank you for Yeah, it's great to hear from you. Yeah. Yeah. And here's the song. Life. 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 Some folks say life is what you make it. Bob Marley say, wake up and live. And I say there's a little truth in all that. But I want to add that and say that everyone is two steps away from living what many may consider the mundane to living what I call the unusual life. The unusual life. Like, take here, if you were born and raised in Western culture, particularly here in the U.S. of A., one is expected to grow up, attend school, get your four-year degree, or maybe go to a trade school, get married, buy a home, and raise 2.3 kids. And you know, there's nothing wrong with that, if that's your choice. And some folks may even grow up in the beginning of life thinking that's exactly what they're going to do. Then something happens, uh, a traumatic event, or maybe a book that a person read that changed their whole perspective on life. Next thing you know, they're on a different path in life. He or she took those one or two steps from the mundane and began to live the unusual life. do the same. Just, you know, countries are a collection of individuals. And even from the indigenous time to the time of Western settlers, this piece of land was primarily an agrarian farmland, people living off the land. The 
countries took one, two, three small steps to where we're here in the 21st century. And the United States of America is an empire. The unusual life. 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 Some folks say life is what you make it. Bob Marley say wake up and live. And yes, there's a little truth in all of that. But I say everyone is only one or two steps away from living the mundane to living what is called the unusual life. Thank you.